Good morning, this is Mary Jo Peel from Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Rift Tracks, and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. Happy anniversary, Steve and Chip. I'll see you in the future. I'm Steve Fodor. And I'm revolutionary Chip Hessenflow, Steve. <laughs> We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. So, okay, let me let me ask the question. Oh, boy. Revolutionary, huh? How, what, what's uh, going to start a revolution? Steve, it is July 5th. Yesterday, we signed the Declaration of Independence. We're getting ready to go to war with Britain. Come on, baby. <laughs> That's not the only thing we're celebrating this week, Steve. What else have you got this week, Chip? Steve, it is our bronze history. It uh-huh. is. So it is the Ocho, baby. We're starting our, we're ending our eighth year. We're starting our ninth year of recording. Yeah. Happy anniversary, my friend. How about that? Eight years every Tuesday for over 400 weeks in a row, you and I have come together and shared really important information with the world. And for our listeners, the people who have basically sponsored us, uh-huh. who, who basically encourage us and who have sent uh, text and email and all of the other fun stuff. Thank you so much for being part of our history. Let's wrap up year eight. Film at 11. Brings us to our Film at 11, our movie of the week. Hey, Chip, did you go to the movie theater and watch a movie this week? I did not, Steve. (laughs) Hey, Chip, you want to guess how many things I watched this week? Thank you for watching a whole (laughs) bunch of stuff, Steve. Guess who's on vacation and who's not. (laughs) Yeah, this this was to prepare for the week holiday that's coming up this week. Um, my goodness, Steve, I think everybody, I think everybody had something they needed me to do, which is great. That's the reason why I'm in business, but you, my friend, get that moment to kind of, you know, repair yourself and Mm. prepare yourself for the next year. And so here we go. Steve, let's start with your movie of the week. Jerry and Marge go large and that's on Paramount plus. Yes. We talked about this a few weeks ago when it came out and I finally got a chance to watch it. This is Brian Cranston and Annette Benning, two of our greatest actors working right now. They are in a story based on a true story about two people entering uh, the next phase of their life, going into retirement. Jerry and Marge Selby, they win the lottery based on uh, some really good math that Jerry Selby did to figure out how to beat the odds of the lottery. And they go on to continue to win the lottery over and over again every two weeks and they use that money to help their small town to to really find that community of people and to get together until those those kids those kids from harvard who figured out that math too and they are in a battle to see who's going to win the lottery every two weeks this is a really fun really silly family-based comedy and the acting from Brian Cranston and Annette Benning shine. Rain Wilson is in this one. He's the he's the silly uh, convenience store clerk that you might expect Rain Wilson to play. And Michael McKeon is in there, but he is really undersold. Michael McKeon is really not given anything comedic to do, which is unfortunate. So do they go into the mathematics, the algorithms that allowed them? to i guess predict a lottery and i'm gonna my follow-up question is do you know how they how the lottery system changes algorithms once they became more predictable that is exactly the story here is they actually go to the lottery board and they say we have solved this algorithm we have figured out this game why haven't you stopped us and then they think wait a minute the headlines of us winning 
have helped the lottery to raise more money because so many other people are joining the game as the headlines of this couple winning hit the wire. This is a, a very interesting conversation about that algorithm, about that math, and how we need to understand not only that we can win, but why the lottery wants us to win sometimes. Well, I'm not even sure that's a good message because mm -hmm. most people will not win. And the odds are very, very low that a person can win. And ultimately, this is just a tax on poor people. Mm -hmm. That's and, and the rest of the message for sure. That is definitely the rest of the message of this movie is, is the lottery board knows that these people have figured out the algorithm, but they're not willing to knock down this winning because of the millions of other people that are suckers and buying into this. How wonderful. So this seems like a very fun movie. Steve. It is. Yeah, I recommend this highly. I don't think that most people have Paramount Plus and Jerry and Marge Go Large is certainly not maybe the, the one thing that you would look at and go, I'm going to give them $4.99 a month to see this movie. But I tell you what, Paramount Plus, between their extensive Beavis and Butthead collection and their even more extensive Star Trek collection, Paramount Plus works really well for my joy of viewing. I really recommend that you take the free trial and go watch Jerry and Marge go large. Well, that sounds awesome, Steve. Steve, that wasn't the other thing, only thing you watched this week. You also got to watch something on HBO. Yes, I watched a new movie on HBO this week called Father of the Bride. You may have never heard of this movie, Father of the Bride. Oh, wait, it's a remake of a 1950 movie starring Spencer Tracy. Oh, wait, it's a remake of a 1991 movie, much more famously starring Steve Martin. Well, and so this is the latest uh, version of that um, movie. It seems like we're going to have a new copy of this, I guess, every 20 or 30 years. Every generation uh, or so, huh? But this one has a little bit different. So tell us how this one's different. Yeah, this one is based in a Cuban-American family in Miami. Andy Garcia plays the father of the bride, and his wife is played by Gloria Stefan. Uh, Chloe Feynman from Saturday Night Live is the over-the-top wedding planner in this version. And this is, once again, uh, a generational conversation about coming together being together being a family finding a way to get through all of life's troubles all of life's little foibles that come together when you're trying to put on an event like a wedding uh, I gotta tell you Andy Garcia is an acting giant he is fantastic in this role he is not the comedy of steve martin this is not a slapstick silly dad this is a very serious very tight emotion kind of father who's having a hard time with his daughter getting married gloria stefan is a great singer <laughs> her acting however is wooden she is really not well used in this role and what really frustrated me the whole movie was they did not give her a song to sing it seems like you have a singer who's standing right there and you have a cuban style story give the mother of the bride a song it would have been really easy Interesting, because you know, even when you're rolling the credits, you could have a, a song to kind of let you exit the movie to a, uh, a fun song. I and said that out loud. I said that out loud to my wife. Oh, please let, let, let there be a Gloria Stefan song in the credits. There was not. It seemed easy to me. Were the, the children the, um, the Miami Sound Machine? I... I I would have just put the Miami Sound Machine on stage in the wedding scene. Just have them on stage. That is not what happened in this movie. I was a little bit frustrated by that. This is not a bad movie by any stretch, but it certainly pales in comparison to the 1991 Steve Martin. That version of Father of the Bride 
it really sticks with me. That was a really good movie. Interestingly, the cast from that 1991 movie did a reunion over Zoom in 2020, and they filmed a family Zoom call with all of the actors reprising their roles. Uh, that's on YouTube. You can you can find that in our show notes. It's a short. It's 25 minutes, but it's all of the fun of those characters getting together for one more conversation over Zoom. That sounds like a lot of fun. Steve, you went rhinestone on us too this week. <laughs> uh, your business. Uh, thank you very much. I went to go see I went to go see the Elvis movie finally. I'm so glad that I did. I'm I'm a reasonable fan of Elvis. I'm a fan more of the the mythos of the man than his actual music. And this movie, the Baz Luhrmann version of Elvis is that mythos, is giving us that that fiction of who this man was. I enjoyed this movie very much. I think this movie is an exploration of the artist. I mean, it's not to dissect all the uh, the flaws of, of the human. Mm-hmm. It's basically to celebrate the artist. I agree with that. And it's very interesting how Memphis, Tennessee, becomes a central character in Baz Luhrmann's storytelling. How Memphis, Tennessee is so central to who this artist became. I had no idea. I I, I should have known this. I should have done the math and figured out. I had no idea that Elvis and B.B. King were such good friends at that time, at that place in Memphis. Yeah. And that was, that was my conversation last week is certainly Elvis's connection to the black community, to the blues, to the sound of, of the Delta, I guess I would say. And how he was able to take that, like, like many artists, was able to draw from that and bring it to the culture. Now, today, they would just go directly. But at the time, the Black community was not really allowed to bring their stuff to the general audience. Segregation was definitely not just for people, but for the culture. And, and Elvis certainly embodied the, the voice of that. And then, you know, being such a talented person, I, I think I can't help but think about this that many times we get lost in the rhinestone, the Vegas, the, um, the, the unpleasant things that our generation grew up. We didn't grow up with the artist as, a, as the exciting person and the refreshing person that he was. I thought they did a really good job at making sure that we knew that. Mm-hmm. That that he was just fresh. He was their generation's voice. I agree. I, I I do want a little bit of that true history, though. And I think that they filmed quite a few scenes that didn't make the final cut. Baz Luhrmann says that he has a four-hour-long version of this movie that he might at some point release. And I think there's some things that, that are missing in the storytelling here. Well, you know, you got the, the peanut butter and Nilla sandwiches. Yeah, where is Elvis eating? There's no scene, zero scenes in this movie of Elvis eating. That's a cultural thing that I think of when I think of Elvis. Fried peanut butter and banana sandwiches is a thing. All right, so I also think that when you get to the point where in the movie where um, Elvis realizes he's trapped in Vegas, Mm -hmm. like he's now trapped. He's caught in a trap. Exactly. But he gives up. Yeah. And, and then where it kind of that part kind of rolls right into it. You could go really dark there. Mm-hmm. But instead, they roll out to a live performance, not of the actor playing Elvis, but the real Elvis. And you see he's bloated. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, and in fact, they show that he dies at 42. Mm-hmm. He's given up on his freedom. But he's belting out this song with this voice that is what made him the artist that he is yeah and i and that part of it so so think of your children going back and reviewing the things that you thought were cool in your youth mm-hmm. well they kind of may review it with some quaintness some novelty and stuff like that but it is not their voice from their generation and for us growing up elvis was you know 
either dead or we were itty bitty kids Mm -hmm. and we didn't know him. We only knew all the Elvis impersonators and the, uh, the, how Elvis kind of showed up in cartoons and was kind of a a buffoon and and just wasn't the fresh person that Mm -hmm. eventually became the caricature. Agreed. The other thing that, that I really look forward to seeing in the four-hour version is more about Graceland itself, the, this, this house that Elvis bought for his family, this land that he owned in Memphis. We see the front of the house and the first front rooms, but we never get to the back of the house. The jungle room at the back of the house is something of legend. I love the jungle room. And, it, and Shouldn't every family have a jungle room? Absolutely. I I am a huge proponent of every family needs that fun decorated room where they go to hang out. We don't see the jungle room in this cut. They did recreate it. They rebuilt a jungle room set and they filmed scenes in there and they're not in the theatrical release i look forward to seeing that along with the kitchen we never see the kitchen at graceland which is remarkable in its small size it is a ridiculously small kitchen and i look forward to seeing what they do with that piece along with the tv room in the basement uh, we see something similar in scenes in las vegas and in a tour bus with three tvs but the, the TV room in the basement is something special as well. And, and what the beauty of this, of, of seeing stuff like that, and, and why it's important, is we realize this was a wealthy person. This is what they thought was state-of-the-art at the time. Mm-hmm. And then look in your house, and you go, oh, my goodness. I'm Elvis. But, you, <laughs> but you, many of us have it. How yeah. many houses have multiple televisions today? Uh-huh. And, and remote controls for those televisions. I, I think of my buddy every uh, every March when the NCAA tournament comes on with the basketball tournament, and he's got his six television, these six big screens mm-hmm. stacked, you know, around. He's got them all hooked up. They're all streaming the basketball games. You know why? And because we can. Because he's taking care of business. <laughs> but the point being is that you know he's certainly middle America and all that other stuff. But mm-hmm. many of us, if you thought about it, you could absolutely do it. You could probably do it for, I don't know, 1200 bucks. Yeah. Think mm-hmm. about it. What, what would it take to get five big screen TVs? Really not, clear not, picture, really beautiful TVs. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not top of the line, but certainly the, the ones that are, you know, 250 uh, bucks for a, um, a 55 inch television. Well, my goodness, how, how awesome is that? Compare that to 1963. Compare that to what was available. The technology has grown so quickly in our lifetime. And and we see a little bit of that in what we see in the Elvis movie. But I I, I want more. I want to see more. And and the other thing I want to see more of is how Elvis wrote music. I want to see his process. Because this movie kind of makes it look like he was winging it when he hit the stage. Like, this is, I'm going to sing this song that I thought about for a minute. That's impossible. That can't be the way that that music began with Elvis. So I want to see a little bit more of that. Not I don't want an hour of... Elvis plunking out keys on a piano. I'm not sure that Elvis was writing any music, Steve. I know that he insisted if he recorded that he take part ownership of the song. Okay. That's where the royalties came from. But many times he was using music that was already written and and then reinterpreting it for him. I I get that, but I want to see that process. Very similar to what Frank Sinatra would do, Bing Crosby would do, anything like that. This was a good movie. I I do recommend it for anybody that is interested in that time capsule. Even though this is a fictional version of that time capsule, I I think that a lot of people will have fun with this. Again, after that frenetic 15-minute opening that really started to bother me, that Baz Luhrmann style. I did watch two riff 
movies this week, Chip. I did spend my time watching uh, Mikey from 1992, starring Brian Bosnall, who you might remember from Family Ties, and he's also the kid that played Alexander on Star Trek The Next Generation. This is the story of a sweet little boy who murders his family and then gets adopted by a new family and murders them as well. Riff Tracks brought us the uh, um, the acceptable talking back to the movie version of Mikey this week. Well, how unfortunate for those families, Steve. Steve, Riff Tracks had some fun, uh, I guess, writing comedy to it. What did you think? Uh, I I admire the comedy writing of all of the guys at Rift Tracks. We've talked to so many of them over the years. I really love giving them my money and having a little bit of entertainment from these silly movies from the late 1900s. <laughs> right, but that was not the only riffing you got to see. You got to see something from Mystery Science Theater 3000. This week. Yes, the youngest movie ever to be riffed on MST3K came out this week. It's called Demon Squad. It was released in 2019. It is three years old. This is uh, the story of a paranormal investigator, a PI. <laughs> who goes into a hidden world of monsters and creatures of the night and tries to find an ancient artifact with astonishing power. Demon Squad is a very low budget, a micro budget movie that is so silly and so ridiculous. It works so well for Mystery Science Theater 3000. This particular episode, we see the return of Joel Hodgson, the creator of MST3K. He hosts this movie, the first episode of MST3K that he's hosted in 29 years, alongside J. Elvis Weinstein, who reprises his role as Tom Servo for the first time in a generation. That's very interesting. Why would they choose to do this? The movie itself? No. I mean, why would the actors come back? What, what, was, what prompted this? Because that would be a nostalgia play, right? This is for sure absolutely a nostalgia play. This was part of their Kickstarter to make the new season of Mystery Science Theater and the Gizmoplex, which is the new app that features all of the episodes of Mystery Science Theater. This was their big get, was to get Joel back in a jumpsuit, back on the satellite of love to riff a movie. And uh, the community went crazy for it because of that nostalgia play. And I wonder if it goes, if it went well, that they will bring back all the other cats. Negotiations with the others are not going well. <laughs> Uh, we talked to Trace Beaulieu years ago on this show, and he said adamantly that he was not interested in being a part of this. That's why his name is not featured as the voice of Crow. Uh, he is not interested in, in doing any more work with this troupe. He's got his own thing. And Mike Nelson and Rift Tracks, they've got their own thing, and they're not interested in coming back at this point. But there are other casts, right? There was a Netflix cast. The Netflix cast is still the main cast for season 13. And then we've got the touring cast, which is Emily. She is doing some episodes. And then this is the Joel episode for season 13. Uh, and then, spoilers, they're all going to come together for the Christmas episode in December. Well, there you go. And yeah. this certainly um, meets the master vision of Joel when he created Mystery Science Theater, where it would be a revolving cast. Mm -hmm. That's the idea, is, is getting fresh new eyes on these silly movies and giving us the entertainment value of riffing to give us that commentary that makes these movies palatable uh the producer and director and one of the stars of this movie came on the show this week and explained to the audience how they made this movie and uh, it's very interesting to see a movie from 2019 rift on mystery science theater okay steve we have our new movies coming out there's like one blockbuster and a bunch of um you know stuff that's not going to be 
Yeah, you said plural movies. I think there's a movie this week, Chip. I think everything else got out of the way of Thor, Love, and Thunder that's opening this week, the newest episode in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Certainly, um, Thor is a, a loved character because of Chris Helmsworth, and certainly the comedy that he brings to this 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 movie we're going to have a return of the guardians which is chris pratt and um, a whole group of others which is going to provide some fun but um it looks like this is going to be a big big story doesn't it 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 is a, a big part of the next phase of the marvel cinematic universe i i'm not a huge Thor fan. I don't think that Thor is one of my favorite characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I still haven't seen the last Thor movie, Ragnarok. I have started, Why not? I, I started watching it three or four times in the years since it's been released. I have not finished that film. I have to put that on my list of things to do before this movie comes out. Well, Taki Watiti plays Korg, which has got this, this great big rock guy with this really, really right voice. Hey, Hey. <laughs> and, and then we got our, Jeff and Jeff Goldblum is in it, Steve. I know, and I love Jeff Goldblum, and I love Takio Atiti. And he's totally playing himself, which is even better. <laughs> he is. How could Jeff Goldblum play a character? He he's Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> well, this movie has Natalie Portman coming back from the first movies mm-hmm. as Jane Foster. It also has Kristen Bale, so he's the, he's our bad guy. Is he Batman? Well, he's, he, he, he could be. He's bad. I, I'm here to see Thor, please. <laughs> I look forward to this one. I, I know that this is going to be a, a rock and roll. Uh, just, just the font that they used for the posters. This is a rock and roll 80s throwback comic book movie. This is not the 80s, my friend. This no? is the 70s. This is the 70s. And, and that's exactly what... what, what they turned it into the Thor. Um, this is the fourth in their series. The first one kind of didn't hit real well, so they started um, playing around. The with, well, they started playing around with the with the presentation, and what they started to do was really embrace the seventies psychedelic uh, black light. You know, uh, it certainly is a very fun world to be in mm-hmm. and like i said helmsworth is they give him the comedy mm-hmm. he knows he's he's playing this character with a little wink in his eye who's um who's who's basically he knows you know he's a super strong guy but he's also got this naive quality that makes him uh playful and i think that is the enjoy- enjoyment of it because when you are a parent and you have no interest in this type of character. Mm-hmm. And you've got to take your children, who the MCU is, you know, Star Wars to you, Steve. Mm-hmm. Um, you go and you've got to be, you've got to hit multiple audiences. If there's anything that um, uh, Disney has done well, it's the Thor series. Mm-hmm. And certainly uh, met the, uh, the pe- people's, you know, I'm, I'm giving sort of a review without even seeing the movie. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I think this is going to be a big hit. And uh, what, do, what do we want today? We want some Soma, Steve. We want something to go and we want to feel good and have a good time and leave and, and enjoy yourself. Escapism is is absolutely on my list of things that I want for July 2022. No doubt, my friend. And yeah, maybe there's some poor escapism with our next movie. Oh boy. Yeah, there, there's a movie coming out called Take the Night. This is a Saban film uh, about a brother who organizes a prank kidnapping and unwittingly hires actual criminals to do the kidnapping. And those criminals turn out to be, you know, criminals who are going to do other things other than what they were hired to do. And what can go wrong, Steve? Oh, boy. (laughs) All right. Let's go to Netflix. They're going to give us an animation film. Yes. There is a young person's film on Netflix called The Sea Beast. This is an epic journey into uncharted waters with a legendary sea monster and a sea monster hunter. Uh, That sounds like a fun thing to put on for the kids while you're you're having fun in July. Book it. Book it. Book it. Book it, book it, book it. Book it. Book it. 
brings us to our book and our book of the week. Uh, Chip, you have been reading, my friend. I have. I've got a few books I, I have you know, kind of backed up. But we've had so many wonderful uh, conversations with Pam Bedore and the books of the, of the month and things of that nature that I haven't had a chance to talk about this book that was released like two weeks ago. Nice. This one is called The End of the World is Just the Beginning, Mapping the Collapse of Globalization, like you said, published about two weeks ago, 2022, by Peter Zeehan. Yes, um, Peter Zeehan is kind of a futurist. He grew up in Iowa, had a love of maps, and from that, it uh, moved him to studying the economics of the world and how the world's put together. And it allows him to have some insights of where he think the, thinks the world is going. And so, if, as you can imagine, between COVID, between what's going on in the Ukraine with Russia, and all sorts of things, there's always uncertainty out there, Steve. And we are going to talk a little bit about how he sees the world evolving our current world, what our children will inherit, and sort of how that will play out over the next, say, I don't know, 50 years or so. So that seems like an interesting premise, doesn't it, Steve? I I love thinking about what all of today's activity means for the future. Obviously, as a teacher, I'm always thinking about what does my lesson of the day mean for the students that are going to hear me today and and maybe act upon those words in the next, you know, 20 years. So the first thing we need to know is that this is speculation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's always speculation. And he may or may not be right. He may be right about some things. But you know, he is a pretty um, uh, a smart person. I, I absolutely eat up his storytelling of uh, a narrative that he put together, of putting something together that's incredibly complex. And so let's talk a little bit about, let's go back in time, and World War II has ended, and the United States is now a world leader. And so what does the United States basically argue to the people of Europe and the people of Asia. He's, they basically say, hey, you guys have been warring for a long, long time. And we're going to say, if you don't war, we will open up our markets to you. And our Navy will secure the, road, the, the routes so that your goods and services, as you rebuild Japan, as, you, uh, as China kind of builds itself up, as Korea builds itself up, um, as Europe rebuilds itself, not only will we help you rebuild, we're, we're going to secure your products coming into the United States. And that was the beginning of globalization. And he says that ultimately led to the wealth rise that the world experienced up until, say, 2019. Hmm. And, you know, 2019 was a very interesting time too, right? Yes. Uh, but... As you can think about today, is China our friend? Is China our enemy? Or are they somewhere in between? And, and that's always a question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It, it, it? A daily question, because we certainly depend upon them for a lot of things. That makes us friendly with them. But at the same time, we're always a little bit nervous about that relationship. And, and we, we think about that. Think about how movies have been changed to be able to meet their market. The, um, the challenges that NBA players have said things about Taiwan that has a very interesting relationship with China and how that uh, really upset the NBA's relationship with China, um, about many of our goods and services being uh, produced over there. Do we allow them into our market? Huawei, I'm thinking, is a particular company. What if I said that many things, these things do not matter? Hmm. Because according to Peter, their demographics are just not very good. One of his predictions uh, or thoughts on China is that China produces and will continue to produce as long as they can. And that's to keep peace within China. China is not this one cohesive country. You know, they've had genocides in there. They have wiped out groups. But as soon as they open up their markets 
and their currency to the rest of the world, what ends up happening is their current residents go outside. Hmm. They, and, and that is exactly the problem with China, and they also close it off. But their demographics aren't good. They're, they're at peak China right now. And because they didn't have enough babies, because of uh, things of that nature, mm-hmm. they, um, their economy has, is going to slip back. Um, and it's not going to be as strong. Once again, speculation. Mm-hmm. Europe's in a very similar situation. And what's going to happen with the Scandinavian countries and how they're going to potentially band together, um, how, how England is going to and Great Britain is going to work you know, separately from the EU, are they going to connect themselves with the United States? That's certainly a very uh, big possibility. Um, and then the peace that Europe has, exp- uh, has experienced, you know, the, the French and the Germans aren't fighting, the Italians and the Germans, the, um, the English and so forth, all that peace, a lot of that was a byproduct of how international trade and how they chose to work with us. And that could be, if they want to think of it, Pax Americana in many ways, you know, peace from the American influence. And that has been a brilliant, brilliant thing. That may be ending. In fact, what's going on with Russia and Ukraine may be a direct result of the demographics not being good for, um, as far as the population, being very good for Russia. Russia's need for um, a number of things and their, their desire. It may, you know, it may not be the military uh, situation that we're looking for, other than they, they're trying to preserve themselves. This book addresses a lot of that. It does from finance, it does from geography, it uh, talks about the economics of the world, about energy. Um, I, I truly found this an amazing exploration and he's a great storyteller. And it shows that the United States, Canada, and Mexico are in very good shape because we are going to bring back manufacturing, according to Peter Zian. We are going to see prices rise because things are going to be more expensive to produce here. We are going to be not not, um, isolationist, but certainly able to take care of our hemisphere in a very different way. And the question is, what will happen to the rest of the world if the United States decides not to protect the seas the way they, they have? Mm. And uh, it could be the rise of piracy. It's going to be a lot more expensive to bring goods and services to the rest of the world. It really could change uh, the future. I'm not saying bad or good. It's just going to be different. Mm. And um, this is a wonderful, wonderful exploration of those ideas. I highly encourage a person to read this, especially if they have a little bit of knowledge of world history, they like economics, and they want to to think like a futurist. Is there any discussion about technology and how technology plays into this future? Because I've been doing a little bit of exploration on how AI and robotics are changing China because of that aging demographic in China. They are actually building robots to do the work of the people. Japan, too. Hmm. So, yes, there is a talk of technology. And think of it in a broad stroke here, that if your country is already having technology. That should continue. It'll be more expensive. The internet may not continue to work the same way Mm -hmm. because it may not be the global force it could be because your country may cut it off, may not support it. But what, and and think about how the internet has transformed. There was a a guy in Africa who built a a helicopter Mm -hmm. off watching YouTube videos. And that's, that's, I mean, how amazing is that? It's revolutionary. That is literally revolutionary. Having those people who are suffering in poverty, giving them the information that they need to succeed is literally revolutionary. Well, one of the real challenges is this, if your area is not already in technology or have it available to you, you you're going to be in a tough spot. Mm-hmm. And this may be where charities have to come in. And, you know, people like Warren Buffett's, you know, billions of dollars 
may end up going to fund something like this. Because what could happen is that places like the United States are going to have this information available to us. But if you're in some remote third world country that doesn't have good access to something, yeah, the chances are you may regress. And in fact, that's one of the damning predictions of this is that many parts of the world are going to regress. Hmm. They're not going to progress, not experience the progress that we, we have because they are just not going to have access to it. And the demands of the world um, are going to be changing. I mean, imagine the worlds are not, the, the, um, the seas are not protection, you're going to send something overseas, you've got pirates to deal with. So that means things are going to be more expensive. That means there could be private armies or private navies you got to, 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 to put together. That could mean that um, the energy that you're getting may be changing too. I think that this is a really fascinating way to, to think about the world, to think about your particular area, for those who are considering moving to other parts of the world, something to really consider. This is not, you know, the super rah-rah American, but we just, the United States in general has so many things available to us. We could be energy independent. We can produce food to feed the world. We have the ability to create technologies. We have, you know, we, we support entrepreneurship intellectual property, all the, the, we, this is a very fragile type of thing that we have. Mm -hmm. And it should allow us to continue a standard of living that, but that standard of living is going to be much more expensive. So that could mean as we put together strategies on how to deal with that, you know, maybe the towns, the, the states, the counties, things of that nature, even the country, has to think along the lines of how can we ensure that everybody gets what they need. Hmm. That's th those are definitely some things to think about. Thinking about the possibilities of the the future of all of that. Uh, we it, it some of it is grim and some of it is definitely going to be different, but not necessarily all of it. Well, and when you say grim, yes, and in fact, there's the 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 thing that he is talking about, he's using the word post-capitalism. Mm. And part of it is, is market-based economies. And what we, what, you know, typically we would um, talk about um, with capitalism require a, a growing. And what I mean by growing is growing populations and stuff like that. So if we don't have growing populations, we kind of have to rethink about how, how this will, will work because You've got a shrinking population and an aging population. And in fact, it won't be until, I think it was 2040, when um, you know, we've got all the boomers and their savings that have kind of found, that have fueled so much of what's going on right now. If you think about home prices, the way they've kind of expanded, think about the age of millennials right now. Millennials are starting to have families. They need housing. What are they doing? They're this massive generation. They're bidding up the price of, of homes. Mm -hmm. And the reason we have so few homes is a result of 2007, 2008, and a number of things that, oh, you know, that was a market decline, some of the things that are going on there. The, you know, if you think of um, the Fed, how the Federal Reserve works, um, how they plan things out, you know, this is a mixture of the central planning that they do a mixture of the, the challenges we deal in a global situation. I mean, it's very, very complex. Mm -hmm. And Peter is able to weave a narrative. Once again, this may or may not come true. His mastery is putting it together in a way that, that uh, a person can understand what's going on. This is an incredible story. Mm -hmm. Whether, you know, 20 years from now, you may look back and laugh at it. But today, it's a way of at least trying to gulp down and digest all the moving parts of something that is incredibly complex. So, and, that we, and we take for granted. So you suggest this to everybody, even though the complexity might be overwhelming? 
Well, he's taking the complexity and bringing it to the general audience. There you go. I think this would make a wonderful PBS series. Ooh, I I endorse that idea. Get on that production right now. <laughs> That's the end of the world is just the beginning. Mapping the collapse of globalization by Peter Zihan. Scroll with it. Brings you to our scroll with it. There's lots of things happening in the news. Let's talk about almost none of them, Chip. <laughs> We've got our fun. Oh, my goodness. You you and I, my friend, you and I are going to be on stage at Fan Expo Chicago on Saturday, July 9th at 1 p.m. Central Time. Come and join us. Fan Expo, formerly known as Wizard World, is a huge huge pop culture convention so many great guests are going to be there we are going to have so much fun on stage surprises special guests it's going to be spectacular i don't know if you've looked at the the guest list mm-hmm. of celebrities going to be showing up but it's all your favorite people steve there's a gentleman who plays data Mm-hmm. There's the, the, um, a huge number of cast mates from star trek are going to be there yes sir Okay, the uh, gentleman who plays C three PO. Uh huh. So yeah, we're gonna. Uh, are we gonna do like robot wars? Robot wars. Get those two. Get those two on stage and have them fight out the the uh, the technology of the future. Yes. Uh, yes, uh, yes, please. That would be one would be filled with anxiety, and the other would be having a hard time, you know, taking in the humanity of the situation. I would love to see that. I would pay money to see that. Come to Fan Expo and see if that happens. We also have the cast of uh, Lord of the Rings, who's going to be there. Yes, many, many hobbits are coming in. It, uh, make it a good hobbit. So the question is, is, are they going to lead us on a hike around the facility? After second breakfast. <laughs> so that's going to be a lot of fun. So if anybody wants to prepare for our, uh, I guess, our presentation, which will be doing a live show, you can do so. We will be discussing Thor, Love and Thunder. That comes out on Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday morning. Go watch it. Come into us. We'll have a conversation about that. We're going to have a conversation on the last two episodes of Stranger Things that was just released. It was just dropped. Mm -hmm. And so you'll be prepared to talk about that and, you know, the upside down. And then if you want to read a book with us, we have a fun book to read. It's one that just was released. It's called Dirty Pictures. How an underground network of nerds, feminists, misfits, geniuses, bikers, potheads, printers, intellectuals, and art school rebels revolutionized art and invented comics, comics with, a, with an X, basically um, sort of the underground comics. Mm-hmm. So this should be a, a fun read too. And just come and, and you know, we're going to have some live guests that will be joining us. So it would be a great time to come out and one, have a great time. But the second part, is to be in, able to interact with us. And if you ask Steve nicely, he may sign your t-shirt. <laughs> I don't sign t-shirts. Don't tell people I sign t-shirts. I will not sign clothing. I will sign nice, clean pieces of paper. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I, I look forward to this. I love going to conventions. We have so much fun meeting so many great people at conventions. I look forward to meeting all the authors and the artists that are coming together for Fan Expo Chicago. Uh, go to fanexpohq.com for all the details, that guest list of all the celebrities and all the artists that are going to be there with us uh, discussing the joy that we get from all of this, this fun exploration of comics and pop culture. And let's make it interactive. So we look forward to seeing you. Steve, we should probably talk about our celebration. Yeah. Happy anniversary, my friend. Eight years of podcasting are about to conclude. We're finished with this episode, which ends year eight every Tuesday for eight straight years. You and I have come together to discuss our our love, our joy of pop culture. That's over 400 weeks that we've been doing this. That's right. And I'm still the curmudgeon, Steve. Get off my lawn. I don't like pop culture. That's right. Sam the Eagle's got to show up somewhere, right? <laughs> Does this have any do- Is there any value to any of this conversation, Steve? Because you keep talking about Mystery Science Theater and Rift Tracks. That's all you like is stupid, bad movies. 
That's my chip impression, by the way. That's right. When, when it's the good part, when it ends. <laughs> I want to thank our, our loyal listeners, our executive producers who have been funding this fun hobby that we've been just enjoying for the last eight years. All of our guests, especially Professor Pam, uh, thank you so much for so many years of, of great conversation about so much uh, literary work that that Chip and I would never have read without Professor Pam coming in to talk about. Pam Bedore certainly has been. She's the English teacher we all wanted to have. She's the most joyous of the of anybody who enjoys science fiction, utopian, detective fiction. And, uh, you know, she always tells us about the work that she's currently doing. Mm-hmm. And um, my goodness, we look forward to that being released to the public also. So, you know what, if you're looking for a university, University of Connecticut's a great place and go take English from Pe- Professor Pandador. And if you can't do that, go to the great courses and take her great course on utopian and dystopian literature. And I, yes, I look forward to her Canadian detective work that she is working on, has been working on for so long. It's going to be a great episode when we have her on as a guest to talk about her own book, isn't it? So yesterday I was at a, an event. I was actually talking to a couple of people who, um, they're professionals, they run podcasts on their own sites and they talked about the music that they wanted to have available bumpers and uh, great songs we have been lucky from day one steve we should make sure we we thank grenadier yes i i'm so happy with the sound of the music that is added to these episodes for the last eight years grenadier gave us just a gift of of that music i really highly recommend that you go and and seek out go to spotify put in grenadier find their music they they keep giving us more and more wonderful tunes uh fool that's our intro song is just perfect it, it, it the fact that it's called fool and then the two of us talk for an hour is perfect and high flyers our exit music is is wonderful i I thank them for eight years of great music i don't know chip i think we have enough information to survive another week what do you think only if we can come back next week steve yes sir we'll see you live in rosemont for fan expo on saturday and then we'll publish on tuesday like we always do every tuesday for eight straight years We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or text. Our phone number is 805-410-4TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hessenflub. See you in the future. Live.